Praise God. We are now uh, moving along. We have a few more chapters um, to wrap up the book of Acts. All right. Um, A-C-T-S, not A-X, but uh, the book of Acts. The Acts of the Disciples. Um, another title or name for the book of Acts is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. All right. And the book of Acts is a really, really cool book that uh, lends a particular perspective on the early church, on the, the establishment of the early church. We all know that when Jesus was ministering, his three years that he spent with his disciples, calling the apostles, teaching, preaching, healing the sick, traveling all throughout the, the Galilean region, Jesus didn't establish the church as we know it. Jesus was busy preaching a message of repentance and the kingdom of heaven. Getting people to understand that everything that the Jews had learned about God and the people of Israel leading up to that point was actually pointing to that point and that moment. And that he was Messiah. That Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. He was the anointed one, which is what Messiah means. The Mashiach, the anointed one, the Christos, right? He was Jesus from Nazareth. The Christ, the anointed one, or the king, the king of kings, right? And that is how we come to know Jesus. It wasn't just a man. He was a God-man. He is a God-man because Jesus lives. He's alive right now in heaven. Where is heaven? You tell me. All I know is that he's somewhere up there in heaven. I don't know if scripture always points to up there. Um, and when it speaks to the ascension, um, it speaks to Jesus and the, the, the life that he lived ascending to heaven in bodily form, resurrected form, anastasis, okay? Um, and it's that Jesus that um, redeems the world. It's Jesus who brings everything back into right relationship with Father God. Each and every one of us, after we come to a saving faith, the Lord continues to renew our faith in Him. God continues to renew us on a daily basis. And our walk with Jesus is what demonstrates our deeds. It demonstrates the fact that God changed our heart. He's changed the way we think. And guys, we don't have to live our lives the way we used to live them. We don't have to live our lives the way we're living them maybe right now with going to the wrong things and going about things the wrong way. God has a special way for us to, to live and that's the way of life that is defined by faith. Everybody say faith. So in Acts chapter 26, let us go there now and, and we're going to um, discuss one, this uh, chapter one verse at a time. Now we know that Paul continues to be held in custody, all right? He's being held um, in jail, all right? And the living conditions or the arrangement that Paul has been set up with um, here in Caesarea was not uh, too bad of a situation. They gave him, basically they put him on house arrest, okay, in this particular stint, that he was in, uh, thrown in jail because of his faith. 
All right, they allowed him to have visitors. They allowed people to bring food to him. They would bring parchment paper. Um, they'd bring him um, implements to write with. Um, and they gave him a lot of freedom, but they continued to keep him, all right, in jail. Because there were many Jews. The Pharisees among them, leaders of the Jewish movement, um, called the Sanhedrin, that were bringing all of these accusations against Paul, basically upset because he believed in Jesus Christ. He believed that Jesus rose from the dead. And Paul preached this message of the resurrection. And the Pharisees actually did believe that there could be um, the possibility of a resurrection. It's just that they didn't believe that Jesus Christ himself was the resurrected Messiah that they are expecting or waiting for. So they choose or they chose not to believe in Jesus. Although they believed in the, the Jewish God or Jehovah God that our Old Testament is talking, referring, and pointing to, they did not make the connection that Jesus was the one that God himself had sent down to earth to eliminate sin and usher in the kingdom of heaven. So let's go now to verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. Stop and pause there. I want to um, just share a little bit and explain who Agrippa was. Okay? King Agrippa was the king of Judea, um, but he was allowed to be king um, on behalf of the emperor, Claudius of the time. Claudius was the Caesar of all of Rome, and Agrippa was the king of this smaller region, okay? Um, uh, he is King Agrippa, and they refer to him as Agrippa II. Um, Agrippa means wild horse, all right? It could also mean one who um, is born in pain or causes pain at birth, okay? That's what Agrippa means. Um, I believe Agrippa was called wild horse because he was somewhat of a charmer, and he lived life recklessly. If you study the life of King Agrippa in his early years, he lived a very lavish life. Beyond his means, he was constantly getting into great debt. He would be indebted to people. He would find ways to, to ascertain great amounts of money. And then he would be indebted to somebody, and then he would, he would split. But he was born into royalty. If you look into his genealogy, he comes from the line of Herod the Great, many of of the former kings of Judea, um, the Herod that was there when Jesus was born, that wanted to kill all of the male uh, children that were being born because he heard that the king of the Jews was born. Um, Agrippa comes from that line. And so Agrippa, you guys, has a Jewish, a Jewish ancestry. And so he knows all about the customs and the traditions and the religious movements of the Jews, all right? Um, 
But there was something about Agrippa that, for me, piqued my interest. And it was the fact that he had a special charm and he had many friends that would, would vouch for him. There were constantly people that would give him money to get himself out of debt. He knew who to go to. He would lend himself unto them, those people, even to the point where he's placed in a position as king. So there was something, some quality, some leadership um, quality and skills that Agrippa had, which is why he was chosen to lead the people. All right. Um, it was also said that Agrippa, um, it was rumored by Josephus, one of the great Jewish historians, that Agrippa lived in an incestuous relationship with his sister, um, Berenice. And um, a rather interesting um, dynamic there that people um, kind of would look the other way um, when it came to the, some of those those situations. You can look um, into the, the annals of history to learn a little bit more of Agrippa if you're interested to dive into that. I find it fascinating because it, again, I, I've said it before, but I, I, it begs um, a repetition. You know, when we can see historical um, figures, people that lived in time and history, and we can bring um, those different historical tracks alongside the Bible, we can see that the, the, the story in the Bible um, is validated with some of these other historical accounts, especially like people like Josephus. When he writes about these historical figures like King Agrippa, and then we go to the New Testament and we say, ah, look, they're speaking about King Agrippa in very similar ways. Although we're looking at it from a faith perspective, a religious perspective, because our interest is not a historical interest of the Roman Empire. Ours is more in, an interest into seeing what is going on with the church, right? So we're looking at it from a different perspective. Much like in the history books, they're not looking at the church from a religious or a faith perspective. They're looking at these things from a historical perspective, which is why sometimes people like Jesus or Paul are not even mentioned in the line of history because of, they're not, they don't get really much entangled or involved in the politics of the day. Are we, are you, are we understanding some of these things so far? All right. Um, let's see. What else? So, yeah, Agrippa is a character, right? Um, and then let's go to verse 2. So this is now the guy that Paul is standing before, all right? I, I'm painting a little bit of a picture and giving you a little bit of understanding so you can see who's, who, who Paul now is going to be talking to here in the, for the rest of the chapter. Verse 2. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate. The word for fortunate is makarios, blessed. It's the same word that we find in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are um, and the Beatitudes. It's the same word, makarios. Everybody say makarios. So it's the Greek word for fortunate or blessed. Some say, um, you know, lucky, right? Um, those are some words that can be synonymous to um, what Paul says. I'm, I'm blessed to stand before you today 
as I make my defense against all the accusation of the Jews. And let's, let's pause there. Verse 2. Paul says, I stand before you and I'm blessed. Well, what, let's, let's ask the question. What has allowed Paul to stand on his own two feet and stand before King Agrippa? What's, what, are, what is a word that stands out to you that has given Paul the ability to stand before the king in his own defense? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. What else? His faith. Someone said zeal. What else? Conviction. Conviction. Man, we're getting a lot from this front row over here. Christ. What else? Huh? God's mercy. Mama Mo says God's mercy. What else? Favor. What else? What brought Paul to that point? His faith, his love for Jesus. All right. What about um, prophetic fulfillment? Right. Didn't we see how in Acts chapter nine on Paul's journey to Damascus, which he's going to highlight here in just a second. He talks about God's providence over his life. Okay, And then it was prophesied over Paul that he would stand before rulers and governors and kings to do what? To what? To witness, to preach, to prophesy over them. Okay? Are we seeing that? It wasn't just, just to stand before them, oh, you know, oh, you're going to do this. Oh, yeah? Well, why? Well, what is the purpose? What's the reason? Because if we, like I talked about last week, we talked about if we understand our purpose, then we're going to have a greater conviction when it comes to how we live. We won't find ourselves floating out there in, in Mars, lost, struggling, hurting anymore because we find our purpose. God dials us back into who we are and who he created us to be. The Lord restores us and helps us to find that purpose, that joy, that I don't, want to, I, don't, I don't want to ruin it. I, got, I have a special word for us today. I was about to say it, and I said, don't, don't say it. But all this good stuff starts to rush back in when we start to get ourselves back in alignment with the Lord. And those are all the things that brought Paul to that moment that allowed him to stand before the king. Amen? Amen. Verse 3. And especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. So there, Paul gives us a little bit of background to Agrippa, which sent me into further study about who Agrippa was. What does Paul mean when he says you are well, well versed or, or of all the the traditions, and the controversies. The only way Agrippa would know about these things is if, in fact, he was a Jew himself. It's the only way. A, 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 a Roman Gentile would probably have no interest or very little interest in wanting to know about 
or hear the things that Paul was going through or experiencing or anything related to the Christian faith. So it took me into a greater study. Okay, well, I want to learn more about Agrippa. I want to learn more about this wild horse. I want to learn more about this guy who lived life recklessly, who found himself in and out of jail and then found himself sitting on the throne of Judea. Right? Like, this dude knew he was the stuff. And probably has the favor and the anointing of the people of God upon him. But does not want to surrender himself to God. He doesn't even want to, he doesn't want to hear about Jesus because he knows that Jesus is going to bring him to a different point in his own life and in his own faith. You know, is, aren't we like that sometimes? Weren't we like that at one point? We're still like that sometimes. Sometimes we keep God out of that back room of our heart. Sometimes we say, God, you can have all these other rooms. You're more than welcome, but just this room is off limits. That's like King Agrippa. He knew who God was. He knew the story of Israel. He knew that they were still expecting and waiting for Messiah. He was raised in it. Verse 3, right? You know the customs and the controversies. You know the story. Now all I ask is just give me a second. Now, let's, re let's be reminded. Paul didn't even have to go before King Agrippa. But Paul asked to go before the king. Paul had stood before Felix, the cat. He stood before Festus, the one who knows how to have a feast, throw down, right? Portius Festus. Portius meaning large. Remember that? Felix, what does Felix mean? Happy. Happy. Felix is the same as the Spanish word feliz. In Spanish, that's how you say Felix. Feliz. That's right, he's Felix over there. What's up, brother? So we got all these names, and then Agrippa, king, the wild horse, right? Who, was, who brings pain and birth, all right? All right, let's continue. The Jews all know the way that I lived since I was a child. From the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem, okay? Let's pause there for a moment. Verse 4. What do we learn about verse 4? Paul is saying, they know me. Right, you guys? Amen. They know me, Paul says. King Agrippa, these people who are accusing me, they know who I am. They know my mom and dad. They knew my grandparents. They know my cousins. They know where I live. They know where I grew up. They know how I have found myself here today, these people. They know me, all right? So Paul is giving him a little insight into who, into who he is, and I think that's important. Um, Paul's a very brilliant man, and we're going to see how in his defense, 
he speaks to a certain side of Agrippa to try and win him over. First to Paul, and then to Christ. D.L. Moody, one of the great um, preachers and evangelists of the 19th century, said, the Lord has always placed it upon my heart first to win others to me and then I turn them and surrender them, surrender them over to Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? We win them over with the gifts and the grace that God has given to you. The blessed person that you are and then we Win them over to Jesus. That's a blessing. Let's continue. So they've, they've known me since I was a child. They know my nickname. Shorty. <laughs> Paul was a short man. And his name means short. They have known me for a long time, verse 5. And they can testify, if they are willing... That according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. Um, for those of us that um, remember, to be a Pharisee is a particular sect of the Jewish religion that was close to the temple. Right? They believed in the resurrection, but they're very hostile towards uh, Christ, towards the way. All right, the way, el camino. That was the, how they referred to Christians at the time, the, the way. They're very hostile because the Christian movement started to redirect people away from the temple and to this man named Jesus, okay? So a slightly different movement. And now, it is because of my hope and what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. Verse 6. Okay. Um, he says, and now. So verse 5, he says, these guys know who I am. They've known me since I was little. They've seen me grow up. They know everything about me. Paul is saying right here, guys, check this out. I was on the inside over there. Which is why... They hate me so much now that I'm over here. You ever felt like that? Amen. So in other words, Paul was a traitor to them. How could he? How could you go over to that side? I mean, they were looking at Christians as the dark side. They were looking at it like Paul was on the dark side and they were in the light. If that makes any sense. But when we step back and we, we look at the whole panoramic picture, we see that Paul was the one who was in the light because of what his faith stood for, because of what our faith stands for. Okay? Now, verse 6. Look what it says here. It says, And now it is because... Of my hope. If you have a pen or a highlighter, un underline or highlight the word hope. It's the Greek word elpidis. 
Okay? And we're going to see this word hope pop up um, several times here in these next couple verses. He says, and now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. And this, so this is what Paul is saying. It is because of the joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. I'm on trial today because of the hope of eternal salvation that I have found in Jesus Christ today. Because that's what hope is. It's the joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. That's what hope is. That is our hope defined biblically. Theologically, the hope, whenever we talk about hope, it cannot be separated from our hope and expectation that Jesus Christ saves and that we one day will be with our Heavenly Father. This past week, in the last week and a half, you may have heard us mention here at church that three saints went on to be with the Lord from our church. They're all elders in the church. Sister Marie Gray, whose service will be in a couple of weeks. Brother Michael Boyer, an older gentleman who passed away of, of COVID, unfortunately, um, in his mid-80s, survivor of a heart transplant, had received an extension of life, and the Lord took him home. And Sister Irene Munn, who had been a part of our congregation for many years and had moved and had been living more recently in Minnesota. But three saints that had gone on to be with the Lord, all living in their golden years with the great hope of joyful expectation of eternal salvation through Christ Jesus. Their trust and their hope was in Jesus. And that is what Paul is explaining today is, I'm on trial, I'm in jail because of hope in Jesus. May we all come to learn and understand how to live for that same hope. That's the stuff that pulls us forward and prevents us from getting deviated or sidetracked, or discouraged, or depressed. Because guess what? When you go through a tough time in your life, God's going to bring somebody who still has their eyes focused on that destination, destination hope, and that person is going to hold you up under your arms when you can't stand on your own. And then you're going to be able to do that for that someone who has gone through the same thing that you're experiencing. So for me, when I started to learn about King Agrippa, having been thrown in jail, having lived a devious and a deviant life, Paul knew that this is a dude who needed Jesus. King Agrippa needed to hear the gospel. Paul knew it. God knew it. So God was setting him up. It was a divine appointment. Can I hear an amen? amen. 
Start looking for those divine appointments. When's your next divine appointment? Schedule it. The Lord's getting you ready for it. He's preparing you for it. Come on, y'all. Get ready. Keep your eyes and your eyelids, eyelids peeled. It may be with your daughter. It may be with your, your, your 13-year-old son on a car ride at a t- after a tough day at school. Amen? It may be with your mom. The Lord has a divine appointment. He's setting it up. Get ready. That's why you got to get prepared. You got to get ready. Get well-versed in your faith. Get well-versed in what the Lord is showing you and revealing to you about that, a a look into the life of of your loved one. Like, yep, that's where we're going to minister, right there, Jesus. Only you know what that person needs. Only you know what they are waiting for, what they need to hear that's going to open their heart to burst. Verse 7. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. Y'all, this was real stuff. Paul, this is real stuff, you guys. You guys, let us ask the Lord to not allow us to get so detached from our faith to where all of a sudden it starts becoming a fiction story. To where it just starts to become this far off story that we are disconnected from where does God even exist? If God was real, why does he allow these things? You guys, we're going to have questions. Guys, we're going to have doubts. Guys, we're going to have struggles. Guys, we're going to have moments. But do not allow yourself to get detached from the living Jesus. From the living God. That's why Paul's heart was so moved and so so convinced that he had to turn from the man that he used to be, from everything that he ever knew, everything that he ever loved. He was obsessed with his faith. He became so obsessed with his faith that he became obsessed on the Christian movement because of what it was doing to his faith. How can you fault him? God said, okay, all right, that's enough, that's enough. Paul, you're doing too much damage to my people. I'm coming after you now. He was a traitor. He was hated. He was a blasphemer, Paul says in verse 6. And now, and then in verse 7, it, it refers to the same word, elpidus, the word hope, two more times. This is the promise, our 12. I even like how he says our 12 tribes because he brings King Agrippa and his accusers all into the same conversation. Isn't that beautiful? He's like, yo, grip dog. That hope is the same hope our people were speaking about. We just got a little sidetracked. We got caught up. Where are we at? What verse? Seven. This is the promise 
that there are, that our tribes, look what he says. Verse 7, does it say were? What does it say? Are. Present. Indicative. The Greek word to be. They are. Estes. They are currently still focused on the hope. They just don't know it. The way that some of us have come to know him. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping. He says, are. I love that, guys. That's why we have to slow down and get into the, into the word. He's like, our people are, we're, we're in the middle of the hope. We're living it out right now. We're, our eyes have just been blinded. They're hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. Look at the next portion of verse 7. O king, it is because of this hope. It's Jesus, right? Eternal salvation. A joyous and a, a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation, right? To see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. He's like, our people are serving God day and night, but they're serving God blindly, and they haven't tapped into the true source yet. And it is him. It's this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. Let's keep going. Dang, there's so much. I call this... I'm, I kind of made up a term, religious inclusion. That by faith, Paul was including all of his brothers and sisters from the 12 tribes of, of Israel. In other words, all of the, the Jews of the day, he's including them in the hope of Christ by faith. But because Paul does believe that, that God has intention for the Jews to be God's chosen instrument and God's people. So there will be a time of redemption. There will be a greater time when God is going to rescue his people. And that's part of the book of Romans. You can read about Romans chapter 9, right? Go ahead and read Romans chapter 9 if you want to read about the branch. You want to read about the mercy that God's going to have on the, the people, the chosen people of Israel. I call this religious inclusion, this salvific in, inclusion. And, but Paul is not just saying you're just going to be saved just because you are. No, I, it's going to be through Jesus Christ. But he wants them to be able to make that decision and that recognition now so that they can start living in the hope now. Start living in the light and be rescued from the darkness now. You don't have to continue living in wickedness, living a life of evil, living a life of desperation, living a life of destruction, of death, of violence, of hatred, of bitterness. We haven't, we haven't, see, the book of Acts, is, it's, it's not even meant to start diving into all the, the, the uh, New Testament theology, right? The Pauline, Pauline theology, right? Of the gifts of the Spirit and, and the gifts and the, and the grace of God, right? And love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? You, you know what I'm talking about. All the long lists of all the, the graces, Right? We're not even going there yet. The book of Acts is not meant to do that. The book of Acts is meant to give us, you guys, the foundation to understand where the church is coming from because it's also laying out 
in a narrative form, a storytelling form, who Paul is and what Paul went through and what the, the apostles went through, what the early church had to go through in order to bring us to where we are today. Right? And then Paul's letters simply break open everything um, to teach us more about who God is. All right? Verse 9. Or wait, verse 8. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? So you see here, this is the issue, right? What was the issue? About believing in what? Raising the dead and the resurrection. Everybody say anastasis. Okay. Let's break down the word anastasis, which is where we get the, the word anastasia from, right? It means resurrection. Ana or is where we get the word anti or opposite of or not, right? And then stasis, stasis, what, is that, what, what does that mean? Static, not moving, right? Something is static, it means it's no longer moving. So anastasis means it's no longer static, which means it's, it's what? It's in motion, it's moving again, it's animated again, it's... Come back to life. It's resurrected. Does that make sense? Okay. So he says, I'm in jail because of what I believe. I too was convinced that I had to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. All right. We've got to stop and slow down there again. All right. Um. What does Paul basically affirm? <clears throat> Who does he claim to have been here in verse 9? He was a murderer. He was an antichrist. You, did you, you catch that? He says, I was an antichrist. Not the antichrist, like some prophetic, right, um, eschatological studies or in-depth look at Books like Ezekiel, uh, Daniel, uh, Revelation. But we're looking at it from a different type of perspective. And there's something to be said about that. How many of us were ever anti-Christ? Are we ever anti-Christ in the way we live out our faith? Are we anti-Christ when we're disobedient to the Lord? Are we anti-Christ when we're disobedient, when he tells us to witness to that person over there and, and we tell him no? So we're not outright, we're not outright trying to externally deny or reject Christ, but guess what? We can actually have hints and traces in our life that can be anti-Christ if we're not careful. Because anything, so we have to be for Christ. That's why we're called Christians. We're, for, we're little Christs. Christianoi. We're little Christ. We're for Christ. We're not anti-Christ. So, right, we say, okay, Lord, help me today, Lord Jesus, to be pro-Christ. Amen? All right. Um, verse 10. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. I opposed Jesus of Nazareth, right? Verse 9. On the authority of the chief priests, 
I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Right? Let's keep going, verse 11. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. He wanted them to, he tried to force them to denounce their faith. That's what he means by blaspheme. Whereas the Jews were saying that Paul was blasphemous for believing that Jesus was God. On the other side, right, Paul was saying that he was trying to get Christians to blaspheme about the real truth now that he's uh, come into. Amen? And then he says, in my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them, like Damascus. He says, in my enraged obsession, the Greek word here means that in his enraged obsession, like he had nothing better to do but, but to put all of his hatred and his anger and his rage and set it on the Christians. All right. Um, Verse 12, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. That's simply showing again how deep he was in over there on the other side, which is why they hated him so much. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, what language? Aramaic. It was the common language of the day. It was like our common English language that is spread throughout the world today. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. He's like, why are you, fi- why are you fighting against me so hard? And then I asked, Paul says, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. The Lord replied, now get up and stand on your feet. Again, that word stand, histami. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I'll rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So this passage, these verses right here, 15, 16, 17, and 18, guys, he jacked me up. It jacked me up. And it, it, it helped turn my faith into a kind of flesh. This encouraged me, you guys, when I was reading this passage. It kind of took my faith from this conceptual thing and this just idea or just these words or this feeling, you guys, and it made it like real for me today because I was able to tap in to what Paul was talking about right here and his conviction and how Jesus spoke to him, you guys. You guys, that's, this, that, it jacked me up in a good way. Jose, man, I was like, I was like thank you, Lord. How'd you know I needed this? Because sometimes we need that. How many of you need that? How many of you need to get jacked up by Jesus sometimes? Guys, let the word of God reconvince you of your faith. Let him reconvince you of your belief. Let let the 
word of God today, you guys, be tangible, palpable. I mean, God, just open your mouth and just taste it right now. Just, ah, thank you, God. That tastes so good. That's what we have to allow the word of God to do. That's what the Holy Spirit was given to us to do. It's to not render the Holy Spirit useless and only for a moment and a time when I call upon him when I need him. No, bring him right back into your day, into your your every moment. If you can. And say, thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Oh, man, you guys. Oh, man, I was on fire when I was reading this, man. I was like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh, man, I almost had like the the spirit of Christ through Paul. Like So like a little bit of the spirit of Paul, but not all of Paul's spirit. I don't want all of Paul's spirit. Those of you who know me, you know why. But I was like, it was so contagious, man, and it was just so good. And I was just just thanking the Lord for my time in the word of God. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to read through the scriptures and I want you to allow the word of God to minister to you. I want the word of God to become like food, spiritual food. I want you to go just like you're getting a a nice, you know, warm spoon cutting through vanilla bean lactose free ice cream from dryers. Just (laughs) with the warm cookie sitting up underneath. Just so good. (laughs) <laughs> y'all are like why'd you have to do that pastor you know where I'm going right now right now but um man I got so much more that I could say that I want to say let me just say um that they thought Paul was insane they called him crazy matter of fact Festus jumps in after Paul's like preaching to King Agrippa, and out of nowhere, Luke says that Festus jumps in and says, Paul, you're out of your mind. You've lost it. You're insane. You've lost your marbles. And Paul cuts in and he says, no, I haven't. Everything that I've just explained is logical and rational because you guys both know the faith that we've been raised in. You're just incredulous. You've just chosen not to believe that which God has demonstrated and revealed to me, and which is why I'm, I'm explaining it today. Like, you all know who I am. I'm not a liar. If I'm, if I'm anything, I'm, I'm not a liar, Paul is saying. And King Agrippa gets up, Berenice gets up, Festus gets up, and they're like, we don't know what to do with this guy. Time out. That's enough for today. He had enough, and they just walk out. And so we'll learn more about chapter 27 next week. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand. Everybody to stand. Okay, if there was one word. All right, that stood out to you today in the teaching. All right, for you, whatever that word was. What was that word for you guys over here? Hope. Got hope over here. How about this section? Hope. Praise the Lord for hope. 
How about over here? It was hope. 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 Any, anything else stand out? Anybody else have a different word that stood out? Bonus? Boldness. Paul's boldness. I love that. What about faith? Faith, huh? Making our faith tangible. Let faith be tangible in your life. The way we love. I love what Paul explains right here after Jesus' uh, his, his discourse, after Jesus spoke. And he says, and let it be through your deeds. Let it be seen through your deeds. Let me, let me see if I can pull that up. Let it be seen through your deeds. Ah, forget it. Forget it. Let it be seen through our deeds, through our love, right? We put, we put Jesus on blast. Father, we thank you and we love you. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you, would, that you would encourage us even more. As much as we're encouraged tonight, um, I, would, I would venture to say, Father God, that many of us are, are, um, are being set on fire. And Lord, there's others of us here, Father, that are, are working hard to press through the things that we're going through, that we're experiencing, that have been difficult, that have been unfair, the things that sometimes wake us up at night and cause it and, and cause it to be difficult for us to, to believe, to have that hope, to be optimistic. Father, I pray you'd minister, Lord Jesus, love and mercy and hope and grace and forgiveness, Father God, to each person that's here, Lord Jesus, so we can walk in that, that powerful hope that Paul was talking about here. We love you, Jesus. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Everybody said, amen. God bless you, church. Love you. Hey, we'll see you on uh, Saturday. Come on, leaders, future leaders of the mission, future leaders in the kingdom of heaven. We'll see you on Saturday.